This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. While you're doing that, pull out uh, your Start Here cards, those Connect cards right there inside your program. Go ahead and start filling that out. And pull out your teaching notes, because that's going to help you know where we're going today. If you are brand new with us, thank you for coming. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I'm going to guide us for the next 30 minutes or so through what I think is going to be an absolutely amazing journey. We are in a series called Future Family. Future Family is a series that could change your life, could change your family, could change your dynamics. So just get ready for a great day. But before you do that, just make sure you're you're getting yourself ready because as the day goes on, we're going to ask you to be writing stuff down on those cards. And if you haven't got your information filled out, you're going to be the only one without your Connect card filled out. So when we hit a low point, which I promise I'll do my best not to hit a low point, but if we do, take that 30 seconds to write out your card so that you're ready to go as we go together. Here's why we're talking about family. Because each of us has a picture of what we want our family to be in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years. Here's how you know that. When you think about Christmas in the next 10 years, Christmas morning, Christmas Eve, you have a picture of what you hope your family dynamic will be like. You have a picture of what you hope long weekends will be like as your kids are grown and your grandkids come into the picture or your great-grandkids come into the picture. We all have an idea of what we want to see happen at some point in the future. And the reality is, if we stack up enough of today's, we're going to get to the future. And the family we want in the future does not happen by accident. Mediocre families happen by accident. Average families happen by accident. Some above average families, if they had kind of some good training beforehand, can happen by accident. Listen, average is easy. All you have to do is nothing. If you want what everyone else has, just do what everyone else does. If you want a kid who has the terrible twos, just do what all the other parents do and your kid will have their terrible twos. You're welcome. If you want a girl to go through puberty and hit her teen years and just kind of write those off as six years where you can't connect with your daughter, listen, just do what everybody else does and you'll have that. Average is easy. All you have to do is nothing. But I have a feeling that we don't want average. We want above average. God wants for us incredible, life-changing families. Families where other people would look to you and say, how do they do it? How do they do it? But it doesn't happen by accident. You can fall in love by accident, but you can't stay in love by accident. You can conceive a child by accident, but you can't raise a child by accident. It takes work. Some of you wives are saying, I wish my husband would do a little more work at conceiving a child, but that's another sermon for another day. But it takes work to have the kind of family that we, we desire to have, that we want to have. I have a little boy named Landon. Landon is two years and two months old. And he was getting to that stage where he was telling us every time he had to go to the bathroom. So we decided it's time to potty train. This is a life skill that my son will appreciate. This is something that will serve him in the future. And so here's what I did as his dad, because I love my son. I created a plan. We had a plan on how we were going to attack potty training. So Thursday morning started 72 hours, 72 hours of potty training with rewards. I even created a song and dance, which I'm not going to show you. No, I'm not going to show you that. I'm not going to show you that. But here's why I did that. Because I've heard 
people say over and over and over again, man, boys can't potty train. It takes boys so long to potty train. And I, I decided, you know what? We're not going to let potty training happen by accident to us. I like our furniture too much for that. I like, I like my son too much to let him go through the next couple of years having accidents. And accidents are easy if we don't focus our lives the way that God called us to. But the great thing about our families is that we can be purposeful. God creates a way for us to have incredible families, wonderful families, families that when you think five years in the future, 10 years in the future, 20 years in the future, and that picture you have, if we do the things that God says today, we can get there. And so for the next four weeks, we're looking at our family today. We're looking at the family we want to have in the future, and we're asking some questions. How do I get there? And we're looking at the Bible. We're looking at what various authors said in the Bible to see what they say about getting there. And I have good news for you, and I have bad news for you. The good news is the Bible, especially the Old Testament, has a ton of examples of families. I mean a ton of examples of families. The bad news is they're pretty much all dysfunctional. I mean it. Rape, incest, greed, lying, murder, abuse. It's just a a who's who of dysfunctional, nasty, turn on the news at 5 p.m. This is what you're going to see. You're going to see Old Testament families on the news today. That's the bad news. So then we go to the New Testament. And the New Testament was written uh, largely by a guy named Paul. And Paul has a lot to say about families. He actually takes Jesus' model, Jesus' life, Jesus' teaching, and he stretches it out when it comes to family. And here's the thing you have to know about Paul. Paul was not raised believing in Jesus. In fact, Paul hated Jesus' followers. He hated Jesus. So if you're here today and you you hate the church or you have a bad taste in your mouth from the church, you might want to listen to Paul because Paul started out exactly where you are today. And then Paul had an encounter with God, an encounter with Jesus that changed the way he viewed himself, the way he viewed Jesus, the way he viewed the church and people who make up the church. And instead of killing Christians, instead of beating them to death, He decided to lead Christians, to lead the church. And he talks to us all about what God would say to us in the Bible. And last week, Ron talked to us about a target. If you were here on Mother's Day, it was a great sermon about how as a family, we need to hit a target. We had a target up here. We need to shoot for the center point. We need to shoot for the bullseye. We need to aim for the bullseye. Well, Paul, for the next couple of weeks, is going to give us a lot of examples of what the bullseye looks like. So we're going to talk about what the bullseye looks like, and it's incredibly practical. It's extremely easy to understand, but here's the downside. It's pretty hard to do. That's why if you think about the people you're in relationship with right now, there are probably only two or three families that you think, I want to be like them when I grow up. I want my kids to be like their kids. Not because the stuff that he says is hard to understand, but because the stuff that he says takes focus. It takes discipline. It takes planning and on some level, it's, it's hard to do. So I want to take you through just a few of the things that Paul says about family. And before we even put them up on the screen, I just want you to warn you. I'm going to say four things. Three of them, I can almost guarantee everyone in here, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, you're going to like it. The first one, I know all the parents are going to like. And then we're going to have one. One that's going to kind of, uh, it's going to irk you. One that's just going to kind of frustrate you. One that, especially if you're a woman, this could be the thing that turned you off to the church, that made you say, I'm never coming back to the church because the church is demeaning to women. 
My hope today is that as we unpack it, you won't be turned off to the church. You'll actually get turned on to the church. You'll want to come back. You'll want to experience all that God has for you. So here's what I would ask. I'm going to read through the list. We're going to unpack one of them today. Just stay open. That's all. Just suspend judgment until we make it through the next 20 minutes. And then you can decide if Paul really was a sexist. Then you can decide if Paul really had no idea what he was talking about. Or if as he talked to the people who walked with Jesus, as he encountered Jesus, or if maybe he was brilliant. So here's some of the things that Paul has to say about family. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Love it. First memory verse I ever taught my kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. I love that. Okay, this is countercultural. We don't, we we tell our kids, hey, you're your own person. You're an individual. Do what you want to do. No. Paul says, no, no, no. Train your children to honor mom and dad. To obey mom and dad. This is the first command which comes in a promise. Another one. Wives. Wives. Ladies, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Don't throw tomatoes. Okay. I didn't make the news. I just read it. How about this one in Colossians? Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh towards them. Well, we like that. Paul had to say that because before Paul wrote, women were property. Children were property. Husbands were cruel to their dogs, to their horses, to their women, because they were all kind of on the same level. See, every, every society that embraced the teachings that Paul gave on family, it elevated the status of women in that society. It elevated the status of children in that society. Our society, our country has taken the teachings that Paul gave on family traditionally, and it has elevated women. It has elevated children. And any society that has walked away from these teachings— You know who suffered most? Women and children. So Paul was a revolutionary. He said, husbands, don't be harsh to your wives. Love them. Care for them. See them as people, not as property. Fathers. Ephesians 6, chapter 4 talks to you. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't do things that you know bother your children. Don't lord yourself over your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of God. This, along with a number of other things that Paul says about family, make up the target. Make up the center point. Make up the bullseye when we think about our future family. What Paul would say is, if you can do these things well, it will serve you well. It will serve your family well. So we're going to talk about the most important, well, at least the most controversial one. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Can I get an amen? Oh, wow. That's fantastic. The husbands are like, amen. Who said that? Who, I don't know who said that. that was, oh, boy. You're getting, you're getting it. When we got married, uh, a mentor of mine in Southern California, a pastor friend, married my wife and I. And in the wedding ceremony, he asked Maria, Maria, will you submit yourself to Kevin just like you do to the Lord? And she had to say, I will, which I just slipped him a 20 right there. (laughs) Because I was young and dumb and didn't know what that meant. I can tell you this, six and a half years later, there are probably five or six women who were at our wedding who do not like my pastor 
because he said that to her. Wait a minute. You're asking her to submit herself to him? And I think the reason why we have such a hard time with this idea is because we have two very common misunderstandings around this idea. First off, submission was never meant to be forced. It was meant to be offered. Paul doesn't write, husbands, make sure your wives submit themselves to you just like they do to God. But I think a lot of times throughout the history of the Christian church, husbands have read it that way. We've said, listen, you need to do what I say because Paul says that you have to do what I say, to which I would say, no, 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 Paul's not talking to you guys. Paul's talking to your wives. He's saying, wives, would you choose to submit yourself? Submission is this. It's basically just voluntarily placing someone else's needs, someone else's wants, someone else's desires ahead of your own. Voluntarily. Women, do this out of love for God. And guys, I want to talk to you for a second. You can demand that your family submits to you because for the most part, you're bigger than your family. You're stronger than your family. You might even be louder than your family. But if you choose to force submission, you will never have the family that you picture in 20 years. You'll have a wife who resents you. You'll have kids who think you're an authoritarian. You'll have a family who never talks to you. And you'll have it nice and quiet when you're watching football on Sunday morning. But you know what? No one's going to like you. It's something that's meant to be given freely. And the second, the second misconception, which I want to spend the majority of our time on this morning, is that this is actually a universal invitation. It's a universal invitation. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 6, about 5, he talks to families a lot. He's going to tell husbands how to talk to wives, and wives to husbands, and parents to kids, and kids to parents, and servants to their owners. And he starts it off in Ephesians 5, chapter 21, with something that underlines the whole thing. He says this in Ephesians chapter 5, 21, and this is where he's talking to everyone. He says, submit everyone, all-inclusive, all people. Submit to one another. Husbands, that means you. Wives, that means you. Kids, that means you to your parents. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on to say, wives, and he actually doesn't actually, he doesn't say submit. In the original text, it doesn't say submit. It just simply says, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord, which in English we translated it so that we could understand. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Underlying everything else, underlying wives, submit to your husbands, or children, honor and obey your parents, or parents, Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, don't exasperate your children. Underneath all of that is this one common idea. Everyone, everyone in the family, submit to one another. Let that sink in. Husbands, submit yourselves to your wives. Place their needs, their wants, their desires ahead of yours. See, mutual submission basically means this. It means I am going to leverage myself. I'm going to leverage my time for your benefit. I'm going to leverage my resources for your benefit. I'm going to leverage my authority for your benefit. And what Paul says to do is everybody in the family should look to mutual submission as the target. As the target. How does it play out? Well, it plays out in the way that husbands love their wives. 
It plays out in the way that children treat their parents. It plays out in the way that we talk to each other. Underlying everything is mutual submission. And mutual submission basically means this. It means that every single person in your family knows that you are there for them. Imagine a family where every single person knew, wow, dad is there for me. Mom is there for me. Where wives knew, my husband, he's here for me. He's not here for his own gain. He's here for me. No one in the family is greater than anybody else because we're all leveraging any power that we have for them. Maddie, my four-year-old, cannot go in the front yard by herself and ride her bike on the street. So what did I do yesterday? I leveraged the fact that I can actually go in the front yard by myself and I can ride my skateboard in the street for her benefit. So I took my skateboard, she got her bike, and we rode around in the street. I leveraged myself for her benefit. So she knew yesterday, wow, dad cares about me. Dad is here for me. That's mutual submission. And like I said earlier, Paul isn't making this stuff up. Paul uses Jesus as his example. Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching. And then what Paul does is he just kind of stretches it out. He says, well, if Jesus talks about submission, here's how this plays out in the family context. And in the last week of Jesus' life, there was this huge dinner. It was a celebration. It was called the Passover. It was this feast where people would travel from all over the ancient world and they would go to Jerusalem, kind of the center of Judaism, the center of what would be Christianity, where Jesus would have his starting point. They would go to Jerusalem and they would have this huge feast called the Passover feast. And Jesus was going to the Passover feast with his 12 disciples and they walked and walked through these dirty, muddy roads. They got hot, They got sweaty, they got sticky, and they got to this room upstairs where they were going to have the feast. And normally what would happen is there would be a servant at this feast, and the servant would come around and he would untie your leather sandals, and then he would wash your feet because their feet were nasty. And the way they sat was their feet were kind of right up next to their head. It was smelly. It was gross. So he'd come around and he'd wash their feet. Well, these guys get into this room, and the meal's coming out, and they look around and there's no servant to wash their feet. Well, if there was no servant, if there was no slave, they would then look to the lowest person in the group to wash their feet. So then they started looking around at each other. And I can just imagine they started grumbling. Well, Peter, you're, you're on Jesus' bad side a lot. You say a lot of dumb stuff. Maybe you're the lowest in our group. Maybe you should wash our feet. They look at John, who, who wrote this, and they say, well, John, you're pretty young. Maybe, maybe you're the lowest. Maybe you should wash our feet. And right in the midst of it, notice what happens. In John chapter 13, verse 2, it says this, The evening meal was in progress. This big Passover meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that God the Father had put all things under his power. He knew he was in charge. That he had come from God and was going back to God. So this is what he did, knowing that he was in charge of the group. So he got up from the meal He took off his outer clothes. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And he wrapped the towel around himself and dried their feet with the towel. I think too often in families, we get stuck on who's in charge. Every team needs a captain, right? Every team needs a quarterback or a coach. Every ship needs someone to sail it. 
Every company needs a CEO. Who's in charge of our family? Well, who was in charge of this group? It says that Jesus knew that all power had been given to him. Who was in charge? Jesus was in charge. Who had all the power? Jesus had all the power. And Jesus knew he had all the power. So what did he do with his power? He leveraged it for the benefit of those below him. The question should never be in our families, who's in charge? Because the truth is, husbands, in some way, you are the forerunners. You are in charge of the family. Where you go, the family follows. And wives, in some ways, you have the power in the family. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And sometimes it feels like the kids are in charge, like the inmates are running the asylum. <laughs> the question is not who's in charge. The question is, what do I do when I'm in charge? How do I leverage my authority for the benefit of my family? How do I aim for the center point? How do I aim for the bullseye and the target in every situation? Parents, you are in charge of your kids. Make no mistake about it. If they're in your house, you're in charge. The question is not who's in charge. The question is, what do I do with the authority that God has given me to be in charge of my family? Will I grasp at power? Will I fight my spouse to figure out who's got more authority with the kids? Who's got more authority with each other? Or will I give away my authority? Will I power down? Will I choose to use whatever authority God's given me for the benefit of those around me? Jesus wasn't concerned about who was in charge. He knew who was in charge. But he didn't pick someone to wash his feet. Instead, he went he washed their feet. And if it's good enough for Jesus, I would submit to you that it's, it's good enough for us to at least try it out. So here's what I was thinking. Here's how I thought we could start. I thought we could start by asking the question that mutual submission begs us to ask, which is this. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? How can I use my power in this family? How can I use my authority in this family how can I use my, my money in this family to help every other member of this family? If you're single today, that's the question to ask when you get married. But don't wait. If you live with other people, ask the question of your housemates. What can I do to help? If you're in high school or college and you're here right now, I want to tell you, this will score some major points with your parents. If you just start asking them every day, hey, mom, what can I do to help? Hey, dad, what can I do to help? You'll score some points. If you want to score major points, wait till your parents have some friends over. And then walk in. Wow, you seem really busy. You know, there's a lot of dishes there. Can I do the dishes for you? What can I do to help? Oh my gosh. Your parents will be slipping you cash under the table. I guarantee it. Because their friends will say, oh, what, what did you do to your family? And you say, well, we just ask each other this question every day. What can I do to help? Husbands, when you get home from work and you're tired and she's tired and everybody needs your attention— what if you ask this question? What can I do to help? Wives, when you both wake up on Saturday morning and you're both exhausted and someone's got to go get the kids because you hear your son in there kicking on the bed, making noise. What if you ask this question? What can I do to help? Honey, you stay in bed for a few minutes. Let me go change the dirty diaper. What can I do to help? Or husbands, you could do, you could do it too. 
What can I do to help? Parents, parents, listen to me for a second. As our kids grow older, if we're not careful, we become nothing more than disciplinarians who are nagging and correcting our kids, who are setting up rules and forcing them to stay within the lines or else. But if we ask this question to our kids every day, we show them that we are for them. We keep lines of communication open with them. Honey, what can I do to help you today? Do you have homework? Well, let me leverage my intellect to help you with your homework. I hope it's not fractions. (laughs) Do you want to go to the park this morning? Well, I know you're only six. You can't go to the park by yourself. Let me take you to the park. What can I do to help you? Do you have chores today? What can I do to help? This isn't major stuff. I think oftentimes we wait for that big, you know, writing in the sky to do something grand for our families. No. Mutual submission asks every day, what can I do to help? And guys, I want to talk to you for just a second because this is a really scary thing for us, for men. Here's why. We're pretty sure she's got something we can do to help. In fact, we have a sneaking suspicion she may have a whole list of things that we can do to help. So we don't ask because we know there's going to be an answer. But if we asked every day, I'll bet the list would shrink and all of a sudden it would just be things we could do. And wives, wives, you're scared to ask this question because you don't want to be seen as a nag. You don't want to constantly be asking him to help. Honey, do this. Honey, do that. So here's what happens. He doesn't offer. You don't ask. The, the boundary gets bigger and bigger till you feel like you're doing everything and he's doing nothing and your marriage is falling apart. What if we could fix all that by you simply asking the question, what can I do to help? And then I think everybody's got this fear. I know I have this fear. What if they take advantage of me? I mean, what if I ask, what can I do to help? And they never ask back. Now I'm doing all my stuff and their stuff. Well, Paul talks about that. He says, families, you're not submitting to each other for their sake. I don't submit to my wife because my wife is amazing and she will never abuse it. Paul says, submit to each other out of reverence for God. Submit to each other as a way of loving, of worshiping, of honoring God. And if you do this, will your family respond well over time? Probably. Probably. The families that do this, the families that I want to be like, the families that you want to be like, they ask questions like this on a regular basis. They might not phrase it this way, but they're always looking for ways they can help each other. And their family is good, and I want to have a family like their family. Will your family be better in the future than it is today if you ask this question every day? Most likely. Which is why if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, this is a freebie for you. Just ask the question. Just ask your spouse, what can I do to help every day? Take out all the Jesus stuff. That's okay. Just take it out. If you're not at a place where you can invite Jesus into that, just take it out and just ask the question, what can I do to help? And see if it changes your family. And it will because the things that God says are true. But if you're a Jesus follower today, even if she never responds well, even if he never responds well, even if the kids never ask back, it's still good for us to ask the question. And here's why. Because according to God, our families are this microcosm 
of the bigger world. And if we can figure out submission with our families, if we can figure out how to serve our families, how to leverage our power for our families, how to leverage our authority for our families, then we can do it with people at work. We can do it with friends. You'll advance in the workplace. You'll have more friends. But even more important than that, if you're a Jesus follower, learning how to submit to your family teaches you how to submit to God. If we can learn how to leverage ourselves for our family who we can see, then it will train us to leverage our resources, our talents, our time, and our ability for God who we can't see. This trains us to be more like God. As a side benefit, your family will be better. But even if your family never responds well, it's good for us as Jesus followers to ask this question every day. What can I do to help? So here's what I want to do for the next week or two. I'm going to do this, and I want you to do it with me. At least once a day, I think that we should ask each person in our family, what can I do to help? Just do it for two weeks. Let's just say two weeks, 14 days. Do the math if you're a math person. That's not that many what can I do to helps. That's just some what can I do to helps. See what happens. Do you have chores to do, kids? Well, what can I do to help? Can we do it together? Let's mow the lawn together. Honey, I know it's your day to drop the kids off at school, but you seem to be running late. Can I drop the kids off at school today? What can I do to help? Mom, Dad, I know you're tired. Can I do the dishes for you? Can I do the laundry for you? Can I wash the car for you? What can I do to help? Honey, can I pick up the dog poop today? I'm not, I'm not talking about crazy difficult stuff. Remember what I said, Paul is incredibly practical. It's not hard to understand. We just have to start doing it every day. It's little stuff that adds up. Listen, I leveraged my height this week for my wife. I am 6'1". She is 5'3". She was getting out a stool to get to the top shelf in the kitchen. I said, honey, what can I do to help? She said, I can't reach the Cheerios. I said, well, let me get that for you. It's a spiritual gift. I'm tall. It's nothing major. But what if we started doing this every day? What if we got a culture in our family? Think how different it would be. People would come over to your house. And your kids would be asking you, Mom, what can I do to help? And you'd be asking your kids, what can I do to help? You'd be asking each other, how can I help you? What can I do for you? People would look around like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this. These people are doing stuff for each other. These people are kind to each other. And dads, I want to talk to you for a second. I said earlier, there's there's a way that we aren't going to get fully into today in which where you go, the family follows. Dads, I want to call you to lead in this for the next two weeks. I know it's scary. I know it might not feel easy. But men, men, I want us to lead our families in leveraging our power, in powering down, in taking our our resources and our personhood and giving it away to those closest to us. Because if we do it, chances are our families will follow. And women, uh, you already do this oftentimes because you have kids. And kids kind of necessitate that you help them. But I want to challenge you wives and you women today to do it with an attitude 
that is honoring to God. Don't just help because you have to. Help because you want to. Just think about the difference it'll make in your family. Just think about it. Think if you did this every day for the next five years. Then your kids got to their teen years and they still liked you. Then you got 10 years into marriage or 20 years into marriage and and you really did that thing that couples always say when they've been married for 50 years. We love each other more now today than we did 50 years ago. That's the kind of family God wants for you. Earlier I said that um, Paul expands on the life and teaching of Jesus, that Jesus is our example. And here's what I mean by that. The Bible says that Jesus was with God from the beginning, that when God spoke the world into creation, Jesus was there, and that the world was separated from God because of sin. We were taken away from God. We had no relationship with God. And because of that, our eternity was sealed apart from God in a very real place called hell where we were separated from God. And Jesus, Jesus took his authority as God himself, took his position in heaven from the beginning of the world, and he wrapped himself in flesh, and he came down to earth with all the limitations that an earthly body could have, and he leveraged himself for us. He leveraged the fact that he is perfect and without sin for us because he took the penalty for our sins upon himself so that we could be forgiven. And if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to know that we don't do this because it's just a fun thing to do. We submit to each other out of reverence for Christ because Christ did it first. Because through Christ's act of lowering himself, of using his authority, of leveraging it for our benefit, we can come back to God. We can have a relationship with God. And if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with God, today is your day. God has done everything to open the door wide for you to come back to him. All you have to do is say yes, to ask him to come and to guide you and to forgive you and to fill you with his spirit. And he will guide you on this journey of life and you'll be reconnected with God like you never have. And you'll walk with him from this life into eternity. And if you're ready to make that decision, we're going to pray in just a second. And I'm going to give you a chance to pray a simple prayer of commitment and say yes to God. So if you're ready to do that, if you sense God is calling you to himself, if you sense that this is real, that God is real, and that God wants a relationship with you because he does, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. You can whisper it right where you are. So would you join me as we pray? In the quiet of this moment, Lord, would you be searching our hearts? We just heard a lot, a lot of information We've been challenged to leverage ourselves for the benefit of those around us. And so if there are people here who are struggling with that idea of submitting to others, would you work through that with us, Lord? Would you sort it out for us, God, so that we could be the families that you created us to be? And if there's anyone here today who's never entered into a relationship with Jesus, would you be calling them to yourself right now, Holy Spirit? Would you be working? Would they know that you're here and that you're real? As we continue to pray, if you're here and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, God could not love you more than he does right now. He loves you with an incredible love. He loves you so much that he left his space in heaven to come to earth and to give his life for you. That's how much he loves you. And you can say yes to him. So if you sense God calling you to himself right now, you can whisper this simple prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, 
I believe that you came to earth and lived a perfect life. I believe that you died on a cross, and when you did that, you took on yourself the penalty for my sin. And today, I say, thank you, God. And I say, yes to you, God. So would you please, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you show me what it means to walk with you in this life and beyond? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.